good to be with you this evening and to be able to fellowship with you, to see all the faces again, and um, to renew fellowship. Amen. We, uh, I was here three years ago and left with my tail between my legs. Um, we were in Melbourne at the time when COVID struck and um, we literally got one of the very last planes out of, Can out of uh, Australia. So I almost was an Australian. <laughs> um, we had to fly up to Brisbane and then got another flight from there and we were able to, to get out. So uh, it's good to be back again and to be able to share the word with you this, uh, this evening and, and tomorrow. Um, I speak with great trepidation because we uh, have a very, very serious subject uh, before us. Um, and what I want to share with you is very heavy on my heart. Now, uh, some of the things that I'm going to share may uh, touch on things that may have happened in your church. Um, I don't know all the churches here. I don't know your situation. Um, but what I'm speaking about is what is happening to the church at large. I, I do travel a little bit and get around to different churches in different countries. And I'm deeply concerned about what I'm seeing. Um, I'm also concerned that we maybe don't have the answers. And the answers are uh, very basic. I, I, I've, I'm not coming to you this weekend with any whiz-bang uh, series of messages. Um, uh, you're not going to hear anything you haven't heard before. So if you're not happy with that, well, um, see Pastor Gary, get your money back. And, uh, um, we, we may get pretty close to the bone, pretty personal. Um, I'm not aiming at anyone in particular. These things were on my heart this whole last year. And in fact, some of these things, many of these things I shared in uh, the UK in March last year. I, I don't preach the same message over and over, uh, but the general gist of what I'm sharing this weekend, I, I've shared in different places this last year. And so uh, while some of these things may seem to be directly aimed at you, um, it is aimed at you. Um, but it's not aimed at you. Uh, this, this, I believe, is, is what the Lord has laid on my heart. And so um, I, I'm presenting that to you with all humility. So uh, I'm going to uh, state the problem this evening, and then, Lord willing, over the next couple of days, we'll deal with the solution or the answer. And um, I think I saw the, the title, uh, How to Survive and Even Thrive in the Last Days. Um, so let's read from Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 12, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, or as though the day of Christ had come. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So it's a very controversial passage. Um, some get the pre-trib rapture in this. Some get the mid-trib rapture in this. Some get the post-trib rapture in it. Uh, then there's all sorts of arguments about the restrainer and uh, who is the restrainer. I I'm not going to get into any of that. What I want to focus on is the great falling away. And you'll see then that he says that, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Two signs. Now remember the context. The um, Thessalonians had, been, had received a letter uh, a fraudulent letter that appeared to be signed by Paul because Paul says, don't be disturbed by a letter that seems to have come from us. Um, the letter said, uh, bad news. The Lord has come and gone and you've been left behind, basically. And he says, don't listen to that. Here are two definitive signs that the Lord has not yet come. And the first is that the falling away hasn't happened and the second is the man of sin has not been revealed. Now, I'm not, as I said, I'm not going to get into the details of, of the, the timing of the, uh, of the rapture or whether there is even a rapture, which is a, a whole um, new uh, angle on this whole thing. I, I see all sorts of uh, new ideas that there is, isn't even such a thing as a rapture. Anyway, he speaks about the falling away. Unless the falling away comes first. We must pay attention to the details of these words. Notice he doesn't say falling away. He says the or the falling away. That word indicates a specific falling away. The same way as we have tribulation. Jesus says, you will always have tribulation. But then the scripture speaks about the tribulation or the great tribulation, a very specific period of great tribulation, separate from the tribulation that has always been not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Read Hebrews chapter 11, the last part. Uh, they were sawn in two, they were fed to lions, uh, they were uh, in dens and in caves. Um, so that tribulation on saints, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, has always been there. It still is. 
But then there's going to be the great tribulation. The same with the Antichrist. Uh, John says that uh, the Antichrist or that Antichrist is already here, is already at work. There has always been an Antichrist. Uh, there are many Antichrists, even at work today. But then it speaks about the Antichrist, a specific individual, separate from the others. So Antiochus Epiphanes and uh, Nero and Hitler, and the list goes on. These are all maybe Antichrists in one way or the other. And people believed at the time that this was the Antichrist. When Nero was there, they believed he was it. And, and when Hitler came, they believed he was it. Um, so they may be Antichrist, but they were not the Antichrist. There is an Antichrist spirit in the world today, but it is not the Antichrist. So he now speaks about a falling away. There's always been a falling away. Even in Jesus' time, remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. One fell away. Now, again, I'm not going to get into an argument whether Judas was saved or not saved. That's not the point. He was numbered with them, and he fell away. And then Paul says, you know, there were those that have forsaken me, having a Demas, having loved the present world. Um, and so there's always been a falling away. But now he speaks about the falling away, an unprecedented falling away from the faith. Now, also, just remember that when he speaks about the falling away here, I do not believe that that refers to the rapture. There may be some here this evening who believe that when it speaks about the falling away, uh, the argument is that the word means a, a catching away, um, and so that refers to the rapture. So um, the day of the Lord won't come until the rapture has first happened and the man of sin is revealed. I don't believe it's referring to the rapture. The word apostasia... Uh, means a falling away from the faith. Um, there was an, ap uh, an apostasia, there was a falling away of, from Judaism in the Old Testament. The word is used in the Greek Old Testament and it is used in the New Testament. So it's a falling away from the faith. So he says there's going to be an unprecedented falling away, a specific falling away that is unlike the general falling away that has always happened. Now, here's the problem. I believe that we are in that falling away. And in fact, three years ago, when I left Australia, went back, got back to Los Angeles, and the churches were closed down, um, I began to uh, preach to an empty church, thanks to a brother Chris, who helped us with the technology. Um, uh, it was quite an experience, and if you've never tried that, it's, uh, it's a scary thing to stand in the pulpit. And there's just my wife over there. She's <laughs> pressing the buttons. Um, but one of the first messages at the time, and I began to see certain things, and I, I don't claim to be a prophet, but I, I do believe that we need to read the signs. And what we are seeing today, I believe, is this falling away. There's always been a falling away. But what we're seeing now is unprecedented. We have not seen that in all of the history of the church. And remember, the church has gone through some really, really dark times, including what we call the Dark Ages. So 
Is there other scripture for it? Well, and, and what, what, is the, what is the purpose of the falling away? Part of the reason for the falling away is God testing the work. God testing the work. Everything must be tested. Everything must be sifted. And John says, and we may get to that scripture later on, but he says, some have left us that those that they may be made manifest. And so a division is never a comfortable thing. But division is important because it separates between truth and error, between the true believer and the false believer. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that folk who may have left your congregation, that they are necessarily unsaved. I'm not suggesting that for, for, for one moment. But the idea of testing is important. Jesus says to Peter, Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And so he says, when you are converted, whatever that means, strengthen your brethren. And so he's saying, Peter, you're going to be sifted. You're going to be tested to see what you're made of. Now, remember, God doesn't need to test us to try and work out what we're made of. Um, uh, you know, I, I have a couple of hobbies, and one of my hobbies is to make knives. Uh, it's not a, uh, some people think it's a very strange thing. But, but one of the things that we do is test the steel. And sometimes we will destroy and break the knife in order to find out what is this really made of. Now, God doesn't need to figure out what you are made of or what I'm made of. We need to figure out who we are. And sometimes we have to go through and experience a time of trial and a time of testing that we might be able to come out on the other side and our strength might be uh, strengthened and may be confirmed in that process. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, he speaks about a shaking. And I have looked at that passage very carefully, and I fully agree, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made. Now look at this, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. That the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now he's speaking about the last days. Uh, he's, 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 this is, uh, he's not directly speaking about the falling away. He's speaking about the time of the great tribulation when he's going to shake even the heavens and the stars will be shaken out of their, uh, their orbits and so on. Um, but th that shaking, I believe, has already begun. You see, because as we get closer to the tribulation, now, and I, I, I understand there are some who may believe that we're in the tribulation now, um, and if that's what you believe, God bless you, but as, as they taught me to say in America, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, if you think this is the tribulation, 
This is nothing. But what we are seeing is the beginning of sorrows. We're seeing the beginning of the tribulation. I believe that. Uh, because things are happening all over the world in an unprecedented way. In the same way, God is going to shake. And I believe that God is shaking his church. I don't have a lot of scripture for that. I freely admit that. But what we are seeing, I have not seen in over 50 years of ministry. My ancestors, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and my mother, who were all preachers, never saw what we are seeing today. And I believe that this is the beginning of the great falling away. Now, here's the other problem. In speaking about the great falling away, I always assumed that the great falling away would refer to nominal Christians. And if you happen to be in one of those denominations, God bless you, I'm not against you, but, you know, the Anglicans and the Methodists and uh, uh, whoever else, uh, you know, they, they're going to go after the Antichrist. What we're seeing today is it's not them. They've, they've gone long ago. And again, I, forgive me if you're part of that. But what we're seeing today is evangelical, Pentecostal, and charismatic Christians falling away and denying the faith. I could never imagine as a young man I could not imagine 10 years ago, if you told me 10 years ago, you, we will see a wholesale falling away of churches, entire evangelical and Pentecostal churches, of entire groups of churches, of pastors in a way that you've never seen before. I would have said, it won't happen. That kind of thing is reserved for the traditional churches but not for us. It won't happen to us. And, and, and my concern is that as you listen to me this evening, there's a, there's a possibility that you may say, well, this is, this is not me. But you remember Peter, he says, Lord, they'll, they'll all leave you. They're all going to deny you, but not me. I'm with you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows. And so what are we talking about? And so I want to get to some real practicalities. Uh, let me just also refer you to Peter, because as I just looked at my notes, uh, for the first uh, Peter 4, 17 to 18, let me just read it quickly. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, this verse had no meaning 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But today it has meaning. And so I believe in terms of my observation that we're talking about the last two to five years. Obviously, these things aren't like a switch. You can say, well, you know, it started on the 1st of January that year. But over the last two to five years, we have seen uh, this, this falling away happen. 
Um, now, I, I know that this may make some of you unhappy, but there are a number of signs of this falling away. One of the signs, I believe, has been in America the wholesale marriage of the evangelical church to a political party. I'm not against, I'm a conservative in terms of my political views, in terms of my theological views. But when the church enters into an illicit marriage with the government, we have a problem, a very, very serious problem. I'm, I'm not arguing about whether a, a Democrat government or a Republican government or this president or that president is good or bad. They're all bad. They're all part of the world and the world systems. And if you want to get into bed with the Democrats, you're getting into bed with the Antichrist because the Democrats are by definition Antichrist. I'm talking from an American perspective. But the same is true of the Republicans because they're also part of a world system. And the world system is against Christ. It doesn't matter how religious the prime minister or the president may be. It doesn't matter if he claims to be born again. He's part of a system that is against Christ and that will be destroyed when the Lord comes, according to the book of Daniel. The little stone will destroy all the kingdoms. It's, it, it, it won't discriminate and say, well, these are conservative governments. I'm not going to destroy them. These are liberals, we'll destroy them. No, he, the little stone will destroy all of the kingdoms, and the kingdom of God will become the kingdom. And so this was one of the signs, and this is one of the things that caused me to, to ask questions. How can an evangelical or a Pentecostal pastor get into a relationship with a worldly government. These are things that we reserved in times past for traditional churches. The Catholic Church has always done that. The Anglican Church has always had the queen or the king now as its primate. That relationship has, but we have never been there. But now we are, certainly in America. I'm not talking about Australia. And so the falling away happens on three levels. The first, whole churches are defecting from the faith. Entire congregations. Leaders are defecting from the faith. Pastors and teachers and preachers. And individuals are defecting. Sometimes you may have a church and there may be some in the church who are defecting. And I'm, I'm not talking about uh, divisions in the church, but people who are falling away. Now, forgive me if you believe in one saved, always saved. I, gather, I think you've gathered that I, I don't hold to that. I don't see it in Scripture. Otherwise, what's the point of falling away? How can you fall away from something you didn't have to begin with or you weren't on? And if you did fall away, well, then you're not on what you fell away from. It's, you know, I'm not a very clever person, but, you know, there's... <laughs> Some things that just just logical. Thanks, brother. All right. Now the areas of the areas in which there's a falling away. 
in doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine has been sacrificed for all sorts of reasons. But do you know that there is not one Bible college or seminary in the United States, and I'm speaking obviously from an American perspective, there is not a single one that I know of that holds to the inerrancy of Scripture. No one. Every single one denies that the Scriptures are without error and that they are fully inspired by God. And even less will you find anyone in a seminary who teaches what we call the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. In other words, that every word, every word is inspired. And not only every word, but all of the words. The verbal, the words, plenary, the whole is inspired. It is not taught, it is not believed any longer. I was working on a degree a few years ago with one of the most conservative seminaries in America. After two years, I had to stop studying because it was undermining my faith. Folk, this is serious. You say, well, it doesn't matter what happens in the cemeteries. No, it does. Because those men get to stand behind pulpits. And they get to influence entire congregations. And what happens in the seminary ends up in the church and affects every single believer. And so you will find very few, and, 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 and I don't have the courage to take a show of hands here this evening, but you will find very few Christians who really believe in the inspiration of Scripture. And this is backed up by surveys done by Barna Corporation in America. Folk, here's, here's the other thing. I, I lost track of when we started, so... Whoa. Here's the other thing. Of those who claim to believe in the inspiration of Scripture, almost none believe that that Scripture applies to them word for word. It's only a theory. All right. So, in the area of doctrine, we can speak about specific doctrines. I've just spoken about one of the most essentials of the doctrine, where it all hangs on, and that is the Word of God. If you no longer believe that this is the Word of God, not that it contains the words of God or the Word of God, this is the Word of God, not one jot or one tittle will pass away. If you don't hold to that, you are in error. Now, just recently, for those who may be interested, on my website, or on my YouTube, uh, done a two-part series on what heresy is. Her one of her we, we tend to call anything heresy. Uh, we sometimes call things heresy that's not heresy. But heresy is the attack or the denial of an essential of the faith. And the believing in the inspiration of Scripture is an essential of the faith. And if you deny that, you are a heretic. Now, folks, listen to what I'm saying. 
99.9% of churches in America today and probably in Australia are heretical because they deny the first essential of the faith that says this is the inerrant word of God. And so the second area is in sin and in immorality. When you deny the inspiration of Scripture, when the Scripture is just a bunch of good ideas, then holiness flies out the window. God is no longer a consuming fire. God is no longer requiring a life of holiness. And so immorality is rife in the churches. It's rife in the pulpits. Any pastor can cheat on his wife, marry his secretary, take a three-month sabbatical and come back into the pulpit. Anywhere. There is no penalty on pastors committing adultery, let alone people in the pew. And I can quote example after example after example. In America, there is almost not a month that there is not a major scandal of some big-time preacher who has committed sexual immorality, who has stolen money from the church, uh, who's committed all sorts of crimes. And folk, this is acceptable because those same men, after a short absence, will be back in the pulpit and their congregations will be back applauding them and saying, wow, wonderful brother, you know, you're an example of God's wonderful grace. Folk, I believe in the grace of God. But if you're going to handle the word of God as a preacher, you better have clean hands. And it's not required anymore. It's a sign of the falling away. The things that are acceptable for Christians to be doing today, the lifestyles that Christians pursue today. When I became, when I started being, uh, when I was a young Christian, those people would have been run out of the church. And yet today, it's just acceptable. In fact, we, you know, we've become like Corinth. And Paul says, you know, you should have been weeping over the sin that's going on. And what are you doing? You're proud. And you're saying, look how liberal we are. We can accept this kind of sin. It's no problem. And folk, that's where we are today. And so there's a falling away in doctrines, a falling away in, similar, in sin and immorality. Holiness and repentance are not believed and preached anymore. In my ministry, I've come in for many attacks on many things. And one of the things that I most frequently attacked on these days is my preaching a gospel or a message of repentance. Repentance. It's not dead works. It, we're not saved because we've repented. We repent because we've, we're saved. We believe, therefore we repent. And if you do not, if there is no repentance in your life, you have not believed. It's simple. James says faith without works is dead. And the first works that faith produces is repentance. If you have believed that Jesus has died on the cross for your sin, how can you continue doing that sin that nailed him to the cross? How? It cannot be. 
And so for someone to say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross, but I glibly continue in a life of sin, you didn't believe that Jesus died for your sin. Like, we have to get these things right. I told you, I'm not going to tell you anything new. These are things that we have preached all these centuries. There is no fear of God. There is a lack of ethics and integrity amongst Christians and amongst pastors. Folk, I will not do business with a Christian if I can help it. There's a statement for you. Because guaranteed that Christian is going to try and cheat me. Folk, this is serious. It's true. I get a more straight-up deal with an unbeliever than I can from a Christian. Because a Christian seems to believe it's his privilege and God's going to somehow help him to get one up on me. What's, what, what have we come to? And folks, this has not always been like this. And I can speak like this because I'm, uh, I'm not as ancient as a brother Werner, but... <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm catching up with him. Lukewarmness. You see, some have fallen away on doctrine, some have fallen away on immorality, others have stuck around. And maybe many of us are in that category. But we're just lukewarm. I don't have, I don't have the time to preach Revelation chapter 3 to you, the church of Laodicea. But folks, this is the general state of the church. I don't see a zeal for the things of God anymore. Those who are still coming to church, come to church. And they talk about football before the meeting and They'll argue about politics in the pew. It literally happens. And then they'll listen to the sermon. And it doesn't matter how direct the sermon is. And if you know me, I, 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 I don't mince words. I don't have time to waste. We, we're about serious stuff here. We're fighting for souls. And they'll go home and continue as though nothing ever happened. I don't, I don't believe there needs to be necessarily some kind of earthquake and goosebumps and liver shivers and whatever else to say God was here. But I know when God speaks. I know when a preacher is just preaching. But I know when God has spoken. And yet folk are unmoved, untouched. Doesn't matter what you preach on doesn't matter how much it directly affects their lifestyle. But it's just lukewarm. And we say, well, that's not too bad. You know, at least they're not in the world. Is that what Jesus said? He says, I'll spit you out. In fact, literally, the Greek word is, I'll vomit you out. Lukewarmness, rebellion. We live in the time 
of the book of Judges. Three times in the book of Judges it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And I've heard preachers say, that's a great thing. No, that's not the context of the book. It says there was no leader and everyone just did what he wanted to do. This man found a priest over there and he hired him and he said, you be my priest. And folk, we're in that situation today where there's a rebellion against the word of God, there's a rebellion against the men of God, there's a rebellion against the preachers who preach the word of God. Oh, because I saw a YouTube and the YouTube says, different to what you say. The YouTube says, I can sleep with my girlfriend and I'm okay. In fact, everybody has become an expert on theology. Now, I want everyone to be an expert. But I want you to know the truth. Not to watch some kind of... You see, because... Chris will tell you, how much does it take to become a YouTube star? Well, I guess you need a hundred bucks for a, a little camera. Stick it on your, on your steering wheel in your car and you can sit there and talk the biggest lot of rubbish and thousands of people will follow you. I'm serious. This happens all the time. And people are selling themselves as experts on doctrine and on theology and on all sorts of things. And they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Every man is just doing what's right in his own eyes. There is no standard anymore. There is no agreement of saying, this is the pure word of God. This is the doctrine. No, it's up to everyone to, to make up his own, own idea. Divisions in churches. We've never seen the divisions that we're seeing now. There's always been divisions. I remember the first division. Sister Ella was telling me she can remember when, from when she was two years old. Now, two and a half. I, I can't remember that far. But you know, the first, thing that, the, the first thing I can remember, and it just came to me now, the first thing I can remember, and I think I was about four years old, my parents were part of a denomination, the AFM, in South Africa. My, both my parents' families had been in that denomination for a hundred years, just about. And the first, the, la the first thing I can remember when I was, uh, I think, about four years old was my parents arguing about leaving the church. And a division had come into that assembly in East London, in South Africa, and the church was split. That was my first memory of church. Just think about that. It's always been there. And yet today, it seems to be at a rate that we've never seen before. Division upon division upon division. There is no voice. For the first time in the 50 years that I've been a preacher, I think it's 53 years I've been a Christian now, for the first time that I can remember in these years, there is no national or international voice, prophetic voice of God. There were the Billy Grahams, and you can argue 
pro and con Billy Graham, but there were the Tozers, there were uh, Spurgeon, Moody, Billy Graham, David Wilkerson, the list goes on and on and on. Who are the names today? There is no one. There is no voice in America. There is no voice in England or the United Kingdom. And as far as I know, there's no voice here. This has never happened before. And what I mean about a voice is, is, a, is a national or international preacher who's grabbing the attention of people. You see, because unfortunately the reality is people don't want to listen to small fry like me. They need those big names to get the message across. But why is there no big name? And I'm, I'm almost through. Is it maybe that God is no longer speaking? Now there's a, there's a clangor. There's something to wake you up. Remember before the first coming, and I have no scripture for this. I'm just asking a question. But before Jesus' first coming, there was 400 years that God was silent. There were the voices before. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Habakkuk, Malachi. And then for 400 years, there's nothing. There's Anna, Simeon, John the Baptist's parents, Jesus' parents. Maybe six or seven people in the whole of Israel who could hear the voice of God. But there was no preacher anymore until John obviously came. And I wonder if it's not the same now that God says, I have spoken. God has spoken in a most profound way in our lifetime, in Werner's lifetime and mine as we came through the charismatic and the Pentecostal revivals of the last century. But that's all gone. Is God not maybe saying, I've spoken. Now I need to test what is there and shake it that that which may remain will remain. Now, folks, here's, here's the bottom line. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. I don't believe in that kind of preaching. But I seriously believe that if Jesus does not come in 20 years there will be no visible church left on the face of the earth. And I have statistics to prove it. When I went to America 20 years ago 70% of Americans in the census form claim to be Christian. Now we understand of that bunch, maybe 1% were truly born again. Today the census says 32%. In 20 years, that's dropped by half. 
And as I've just shown you, of those that are true, true believers, a very small percentage are surviving. You say, well, brother, that's, that, that's serious. Yes, it is serious. It's very serious. And I believe that the only hope we have is either, well, we have two possibilities. The one is a revival. Amen. Yes. But the bad news is I don't see the revival here. It doesn't mean God can't do it, but I don't see a promise. I see a promise of a falling away. And the other hope is that Jesus will come. But if he doesn't come, what did Jesus say? When I come, will I even find faith on the earth? Will I even find faith on the earth? The only hope I have. And folk, I know you may look at me and say, well, you know, and, and I am getting older and I'm tired and as you probably know I'm retiring from the pastorate in three months time not from the ministry but from the pastorate because I'm tired I've had enough you say yeah you're just tired and disillusioned no folk this is this is reality the only hope I have is that Jesus gave us a promise and he says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. So he will save the church. Amen. But the question is simply, will you and I be part of that remnant? Now use that word carefully, because it's become a, 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 a source of boasting. Oh, we're the remnant. We're a remnant church. If you claim to be part of the remnant and your church claims to be a remnant church, you are by definition not a remnant church because pride comes before the fall. All we can say is, Lord, I want to be part of that number. I want to be one of the few who make it on that day. And if there's only six that go into the ark, I want to be one of those six. And the question is, how am I going to do that? I can't rely on my, on my ability. Was it eight in the ark? Eight in the ark. Thank you, brother. Noah and his wife and his three sons and three daughters. Three daughters-in-law. I can't rely on my experience. Because, folks, here's the reality that greater men and women than you and I have fallen and are by the wayside today. Don't be like Peter and say, Lord, all will fall but not me. Every single one of us has the potential of being one of those who defect. So what do I do to make it? Because, folk, here's the thing, that it, I, I trust that you have the same heart that I have this evening and saying, Lord, I, I want to make it. Especially at this stage of my life, Lord, I, you know, I've, I've given my whole life to serve you and then I'm not going to make it in the end. 
can't keep myself. This is the problem. And at the same time, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. So how am I going to make it? Well, God has given us, I believe, the tools to make it. And we're going to speak about that tomorrow. Amen.